Hi, everyone. I'm Jim DeCesare, the host of the DeCesare Group Podcast. Welcome back. The DeCesare Group Podcast is a companion to our newsletter, Soki Economic Development and Business News. Go to our website, thedeCesareGroup.com, and subscribe today, and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, this week, I'm talking with Dr. Dana Cosby. Dana is the Associate Dean of Graduate Programs and Outreach at Western Kentucky University. She has experience in both the private and public sectors. She's held an executive role with a billion-dollar multinational organization with oversight for several corporate functions, including strategic planning, change management, risk management, compensation and benefits, training and organizational development, employee communication, and governmental affairs. She has consulted and lectured on international management, most specifically competency attainment for programs serving organizations in Japan, Mexico, Canada, Russia, Austria, and Germany. Her consulting practice includes uh, executive recruiting, coaching, and human resource development program design. On this week's program, Dana and I sat down recently and discussed upskilling and reskilling workers and the future of work, which means AI. Here's my conversation with Dr. Dana Cosby. Hey, Dana, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Jim. Glad to be here today. It's always good to see you. No, we, we go back, what, 23, 4, 5 years, uh, known you. Uh, I will give credit where credit is due. The whole reason I have an MBA is because of Dr. Dana Cosby. She taught me into the program a few years back, so I appreciate that. It's helped to increase my income. Wow. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what we like to hear. That's the whole idea, right? Yeah, that is the whole idea. Yes. So anyhow, well, let's get started here. You want to talk about uh, upskilling, reskilling, and the future of workforce. So so tell us about this concept of upskilling and reskilling, and uh, what are the key factors driving this whole philosophy? Okay. So um, as you probably know, um, not just in, in our region, but also sort of globally, the sure. demographics of the workforce is changing. And um, certainly in the U.S., we're experiencing a little bit of a population decline, mm -hmm. um, and we expect this to um, reach kind of a, a height in 2025 in terms of the the adult working age. Yeah. And so um, we know that these demographics are driving it and then also the rapid change in technology and in the design of jobs. Um, because of that, the idea of reskilling and upskilling is about preparing your existing workforce to meet the challenges of the future. Okay. Okay. And so, and that could, when you, you talk about reskilling, you're talking about uh, people that may already be in some of these positions, but giving them the new skills that they need. And then the upskilling are people that maybe want to move up in their role wherever they're working and give them new skills. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I just want to make sure I'm saying that right. That is exactly right. It's kind of in the word, anyhow, but reskilling yes. and upskilling. But yes. all right, so you, as the associate dean of graduate programs, and outreach at WKU. Uh, can you talk about? I know I know you've got some initiatives that you've been working on that may help out with this. But tell us about some of the initiatives or programs aimed at upskilling individuals for uh, changing those demands in the job market. Okay, so in the academic world, mm -hmm. um, you know we have had some traditional structures with regards to graduate programs. You know, the master's degrees, the MBA, and generally speaking, when you when you seek that kind of program, you're going all in for a one or two year program in, you know, with that credential. So to meet this idea 
of being more flexible and providing these um, content areas that folks are going to be um, needing for, for jobs of the future, what we're moving to, for example, in the MBA program is a stackable certificate-based program. Um, for example, supply chain is a huge field that's under a great deal of demand. Right. And so people that got a general business degree, you know, looking out in the job market, they might find those positions very lucrative. And so we we have a supply chain certificate, which is a four course sequence that they can complete, you know, within months mm -hmm. that will prepare them for those roles. Um, and so um, the idea with this with a stackable sort of approach is that someone can come and get a new skill set in this topical area and then come back and take another bite at the apple when they need additional skills and then those credentials can stack up for a larger credential like a like an MBA. So does does that coincide if you if you're an MBA student right now mm -hmm. and you're going through your what the core five areas mm -hmm. you can add those on. So we have a very customized MBA program, and that that's really the trend for this right. this type of program anyway. So you can customize or design your MBA around your specific career needs and goals. So for folks who have not had a, a strong business background in terms of like a business degree, et cetera, mm -hmm. they can um, take a, uh, an enterprise management certificate that will give them that broad-based foundation in a four-course sequence. And then they can add another certificate onto it, an elective, and then um, the overarching strategy course. Um, so, so this makes our MBA program even more responsive to students' needs and, and to the industry. So you talked about logistics, enterprise. What are some of the other ones that you're working on? Okay. so the, uh, wh Which ones are available? All of them. All, all, <laughs> all right. of these that I shall describe are available. We have um, supply chain mm -hmm. management. We have enterprise management, which is business basics, you know, accounting, marketing, yeah. human resources. Um, <laughs> which, which that's kind of your area of expertise. Yes, yes. And um, we have executive decision making. Okay. And so that kind of gives the polish for folks in that career trajectory where they need to be thinking about um, – you know, some, some macro level things like macro econ, um, you know, managerial finance, critical thinking, those kinds of skills. Mm -hmm. um, we also have business data analytics, which, you know, is, you know, all about the, the predictive analytics that's so popular now. Yep. And then we also have cybersecurity management. Um, cybersecurity um, business data analytics um, is also a master's program, but we have a certificate just in cybersecurity. And that one's about policy. So it's not about hardcore coding cyber. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding social engineering and, and different techniques that management should embrace in order to stay safe. Th things to, that you need to be prepared for when running a, an organization to avoid um, – getting hacked absolutely <laughs> for the lack of a better yes, term absolutely so um what if someone already has their mba or or has their master's or can they still take these these uh courses absolutely okay and one of the so so if we <clears throat> if we have you know businesses listening that want someone to understand cybersecurity management yes. they can they can come to you and and say, I want to sign up these individuals for this program. Absolutely. And in addition to these graduate certificates and these programs, um, Gordon Ford has also launched 
a major effort in our um, outreach area with regard to my what we call micro-credentials. Okay. And so micro-credentials are non-credit, very short-term, very focused experiences um, that our faculty are able to deliver in in a very just-in-time way. And give us an example of some of those micro-credentials. Okay. So we, we um, are working with Warren County Contractors Board. Mm-hmm. And they have, you know, a massive number of contractors, you know, to support our, you know, unbelievable growth in this region. And so all those contractors need to have a certain amount of required training. And so we have built for them a program that their contractors can assess or can access. They'll give them things like business basics, understanding, you know, how to run these businesses, um, business risk management, and human resources kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they can access these online. They can do them on their their phones, their iPads, computer. We've built podcasts. Um, but what we've done is we have designed this this micro-credential for them based on their needs. Okay. So that's one example. And that's uh, and so and th- that's a great group to, to probably have something like this because, you know, a lot of these uh, men and women are out there building houses. They don't you know, right. they're just they're just trying to get a house done, and they're hiring people to, to come in and do the roofing, the painting, the drywall, all those extra things. And they need to understand the dynamics, especially in a very transparent world we live in now. Yes. Of, of you know, what the optics are of the operation you're running. And, you know, you got building inspectors coming by. you got code enforcement and people like that. They're going to check up on you. Yes. And you better have your ducks in a row. That's right. All That's right. right. Uh, any other uh, interesting micro-credentials that you, you've implemented? I know I've heard you talk about this uh, very passionately for yes. a, a year or more now. Yes. So uh, what are some of the others? So um, we are also um, in the college looking at a supervisor, a supervisor um, business acumen okay. micro-credential. So like a leadership credential? Mm, yes. So okay. so we're building those out. Cool. Um at this moment, we're working in particular with organizations that want a customized solution. Okay. And then uh, we anticipate that there will be some other things of a general nature that that we will build out based on, you know, market demand in general. That's cool. That's yeah. that's some some neat stuff. And you know, with the the not only the the growth that we have with people moving into the area, but you know. Um, economic development and business growth and industry growth in this region is just exploding right now. And, um, again, you know, everybody wants to make sure their I's are dotted and their T's are crossed and they have people that are properly trained. So this is where this upskilling and reskilling comes into play is through these, uh, grad, uh, certificates and, uh, micro credentials. So with advancements in technology and automation, Certain roles are becoming obsolete now. Absolutely. And, and so how can uh, organizations and individuals approach uh, this, this reskilling philosophy to ensure they stay relevant and competitive right. in the job market? So, you know, you want to talk passionately about something. I think the, the future that we're going to see in terms of designs, job designs mm-hmm. and architecture of, of organizations are going to change, you know, fundamentally because of artificial intelligence. So when we're thinking about, Jim, um, jobs like uh, roles in accounting, for example, 
artificial intelligence is going to change, um, you know, a lot of those rote clerical kinds of jobs, the bookkeeping jobs, um, into some, you know, automated um, natural language processing sorts of, of um, applications. And what this means is we're going to have to prepare the people in those jobs to take on those higher roles. We're going to have to prepare them to understand the, the augmentation with artificial intelligence um, to keep that relevant. So organizations are going to have to keep employees on their toes um, you know, to understand critical thinking and sort of those higher order. Yeah. Uh, Problem solving skills. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk about the pandemic. That's over. Okay. But it has changed the, the, the landscape of workforce. Absolutely. And um, so, you know, people are needing these upskilling, reskilling uh, training mm-hmm. uh, to address, you know, not only unemployment, uh, because I haven't checked it in a while, but, you know, we have a we have a, a big problem with the participation rate. Right. You know, we have a, a lot of working age people that aren't working. And part of that is because, you know, they need to be upskilled or reskilled. Uh, but how do, how do we do how do we address unemployment and fostering a more resilient workforce? I think it starts and ends with education. Yeah. Um, it, you know we we have to build systems and things with regard to education that will give people just in time skills, mm-hmm. to, so that you know they they can get the training, get the education, and get into the workforce in a in a quick way rather than, you know, letting them continue to to um, be in the pattern of out of the workforce. Yeah. Um. So talking about creating just-in-time educational opportunities, yes. for lack of a better term. Yes. It, you, you made me think about this because, you know, typically the universities – Wherever, whether it's WKU or it could be um, UAB or any university in the country, you always think of them. Most people traditionally think of them as you know, you go, you go, you start as a freshman, you you pick a major, you graduate in four to eight years, right, <laughs> and uh, you go into the workforce. But what I'm hearing here is is that now especially with the College of Business at, at, at WKU, the Gordon Ford College of Business. Let's get that right. Um, a little outside-the-box thinking where you're creating what's needed. It, it's kind of it, it's different than what's traditionally been out there for, for the universities. And is that the way of the future for not only WKU but other universities it, where they're going to start – um, you know, there's, you're still going to have your degree programs, but you're going to create special pathways. Yes. So I, talk about that. So I do believe that um, the academy is going to have to to change and become more flexible in in this regard. You know, it used to be the way that information worked, the way knowledge worked. You had these scholars that were that were doing research and they were creating this knowledge and then they were pushing it to everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that timeline... Uh, tends tends or tended to be much longer than what we're seeing now with the information sharing. 
you know, when we, you know, we've heard a lot of talk about chat GPT, right? Right. Okay. So it is basically a supervised um, sort of machine learning kind of application. So whenever you're generating that with your content. It's a store of knowledge. Yes. <laughs> and what you're doing, when, when you're giving it content to create for you, it's going out and it's getting information and it's bringing back to you. And then, as you know, sometimes it's not right. And so when it understands that it's not right, what you're doing is you're training. You're helping to train the giant, massive data set out there. And so, in other words, you know, knowledge is being created and pushed, you know, every day, all the time in that way. And so um, the Academy is going to have to to shift gears a little bit to understand that, you know, those traditional ways of thinking about the role in society, it's, it's going to have to change too because yeah. it's, you know, it's still very relevant and important, but the mechanism is going to have to change. So I know there's a, a lot of conversations going on not only in the workforce, but at the university level. Uh, I was in a training program recently at, at Western, and this subject came up. So from your perspective, is using chat GPT and other AI software acceptable in the workforce and in education? Okay, so what I would... <laughs> Let's go down that rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. I hope your followership is 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 not uh, the traditional academic. You know, because from well, and I'll explain. You know, from my perspective right now, I'm thinking it's kind of not right. Right. You know, it's it's almost like cheating. Right. Um, right. But I'm I'm open to listening and understanding better how we can make this work in a productive manner. Okay. So, um, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about the role of AI mm -hmm. in, you know, in, in academics. And here's what I'll take, because I, I use AI every day, mm -hmm. all day. You're the first one that, that mentioned it to me like a, a year or so ago. You're like, you got to check out this website. Oh, yes. And, and I have subscribed to many of the different business applications that use AI. I'm checking them out. Um, I'm also taking an MIT course right now about AI and business strategy. Because you don't have enough education <laughs> documents hanging on your wall. <laughs> no, I, I want to know about this stuff, and I want to know how it can help our yeah. region and our in our educational system right. and our business. Um, but, you know, in terms of using it as a tool, okay, it, it it's not going to replace the need that we have to educate our students in subject matter. Nothing, you know, ChatGPT can write a paper for them. But because ChatGPT is still in that training phase where everything that it spits out isn't exactly correct. Right. Um, then the students have to be able to critically think and look and evaluate that information and so, you know, they're still going to have to have a good foundation of that content and that understanding. But it is going to require us to really strengthen um, their ability to pose questions, to understand the information that they're looking for, to, and then, of course, to critically evaluate what comes back at them. Okay. So I think we're going to have to shift, you know, just like we did. You know, back in the day, you know, we had to go look up our sources in cart catalogs. Yeah. And, brick and mortar libraries yeah and so there were a lot of professors back then when the old interweb came out that were you know a little suspicious of it and didn't necessarily want students to use that yeah and we've changed we've adapted um and i think as ai continues to adapt you know 
we'll we'll be looking at some different issues there as well. Okay. Well, so and I and I know that you know. WKU, for example, they're working on policies to deal with this. And I'm sure there are a lot of organizations out there that are working on policies to deal with this. But it's not going to go away. Right. And um, it's here. Right. But I'm I'm just urging caution right now <laughs> until, you know, yes. some of the bugs are worked out. Right. Right. And, and I know, you know, there may be some legislative action dealing with this at some point. Right. Um, I don't know how far they would go, but, you know, those are things we got to, you know, keep an eye on as well, because policymakers are, are uh, you know, talking about this. And I know before the show started, our engineers talking about, well, that's kind of why there's a writer's strike right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, you, you know, that there are people out there that that write different things for a living. But again, uh, and I've experimented with it, mm-hmm. and I think you know, from my perspective is that it, it gets a little too flowy and too, um, too many adverbs and, you know, and I'm like, well, this, nobody writes like this unless you're writing a, you know, a romantic novel. Right. (laughs) Right. And, uh, so, you know, I, I, that's where if people are going to use it, they're going to need to get into it, read it, edit it, make it their own in some form or fashion and understand the content better. Right. You know, from a business perspective, it can be really helpful in creating some efficiencies, you know, mm-hmm. when you're, you know, chat, chat bots are artificial intelligence. That's what, yeah. you know, that's what it is. So, you know, when you're. And they frustrate me to no end because they never answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> I was dealing with one the other day. I'm like, well, I just need to talk to somebody. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, I, you know, I find in the MBA program, you know, just the automated drip marketing campaigns and mm-hmm. those kinds of things that don't really have the human interaction that a phone call does or right. that a Zoom session does. Um, you know, I'm finding that there are a lot of people that still want that that human interaction for customer service kinds of things. Well, and, and I, you know, when I teach freshmen every fall, I tell them I, I do not want to make a deal with anybody, especially when there's big, big numbers involved. If I'm not looking them in the eye. Right. You know, and I think that's uh, that's a place that, that we've gotten to, especially with some of the younger uh, generation, that they, they have those social um, deficiencies. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, getting them to overcome that. So, you know, that to your point there, th- those are things that still need to happen. Right. You still got to have those face-to-face conversations. You got to be able to look someone in the eye and see the emotion in their face and understand what they're, you know, they're feeling by their expressions. Um, you know, because sometimes that that says it all. And you know, I'm not going to sign a million-dollar deal with anybody by text, right? Or any any other way, unless right. I'm sitting with them at some point. Right. Right. So, all right. This is great. What um, what role do you see continuous learning and lifelong education playing in the future of work, and and how can employees and employers collaborate to promote a culture of upskilling within the organization? And I talk, you know, sometimes I talk about this. I think it's important for employers to invest in their employees to help them become better versions of themselves, especially for the roles that they're playing within the organization. 
What, right. are, your, what are your thoughts on that? So, you know, I think this goes back a lot to understanding change and change management, because what we know is the, you know, jobs and workplaces are going to change exponentially Yeah. now. And so, you know, from, from that standpoint, you know, building a culture where change is not only accepted, but it's expected. You know, I, I had a, a mentor that was plant manager and he would do things to keep change kind of at, at the top of everyone's mind, like he would change the paint on the entry door so that, you know, that was a reminder that, you know, we have change here. Yeah. And I think infusing that from a cultural standpoint is important. Also, um, the development, um, employee development that you, that you talked about. Um, but in terms of continuous education, we're going to have to make it a norm to to um, explore new things, learn new things, and, and kind of keep that that idea of continuous improvement of ourselves in, in terms of our um, professional development, et cetera. Um, you know, that's, that's going to have to be an ongoing thing yeah. so that people don't get really stale in their jobs. Because, you know, humans don't innately like change, right? Right. Yeah. And so, but just kind of building that into the system, I think, is, is going to be the... the you know, the change maker for organizations. But also humans like to feel wanted yes. and appreciated. Yes. And, you know, from an HR perspective, um, that is a big factor in employee retention now. Yes. And so by investing in uh, training programs that help them be, be better at what they do is, is that, you know, is that is that part of that change? It is. It is. And, you know, training training um, is a field that has been shown, um, you know, you get improvements in, in employee morale just by offering training to people mm -hmm. because that that does make them feel valued. Uh, it, you know, things are going to be scary, you know, with the advent of AI in terms of, you know, people are going to be concerned. Hey, you know, is this is this robot going to take my job away? You know, those yeah. are going to be concerns. And so I think building that culture of, you know, th these technology improvements are only going to make your job more exciting, really, you know, because you will you'll be able to do the the higher level things with augmenting the robots. So it sounds things. like you've embraced AI <laughs> and you are you I don't want to say you're uh, you're uh, you're promoting it, but you, you think there's a way of integrating it with the employee that's on the job every day, they can integrate it in, into making their their role better. Right, absolutely. So so let's, you know, I, I love manufacturing. Yeah. That's my favorite. But let, let's shift gears a little bit to healthcare. Okay. okay. So one of the- Yeah, I don't want to, I'm not going to let someone, you know, <laughs> I don't want a doctor going, hang on, I need to check out chat GPT to figure out how to, to you know, do an operation. I, but let me, let me tell you what's coming. Yeah. With, with that, and it's here somewhere, probably not here, here. But so AI can actually look at your diagnostic notes and make some, you know, some clinical recommendations based, mm -hmm. you know, based on that. Um, and so that's all cool and well. And, and you know, we're going to have some some really cool medical findings with, yeah. with that kind of approach. But you've got to have that trained and experienced doctor to look at that information um, because while AI can handle very complex problems, 
it cannot handle some of the simple nuances that we as human can and or as humans can. And so, you know, those clinical notes mm-hmm. and the distilling down into those major areas is, is very helpful for the doctor. But, you know, it is still going to take that. Well, human that, that and, and that would be, be because everybody's different. Right. You know, everybody, you know, they, they might say, well, this is the recommendation for curing or, or resolving this medical issue. Yeah, but this person also has all these other things going on, you know, and and that that's where your your physician would come into play, right? Who, who's been dealing with you for however long, right? Exactly. So uh, we've we've covered a lot of stuff here. Anything that I've left out that you wanted to talk about? I know we we were, we in the future of work. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about you know we've talked about that, and I guess AI is a big part of the future of work, upskilling and reskilling. But anything else that that we didn't talk about? You know, I I would think right now, you know, the the evolving nature of work is going to be going in in a million different directions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as you know, the pandemic. We'll, we'll go back and revisit the pandemic. It the pandemic drove a lot of folks, you know, home working remotely, yeah, doing project based works work, and so from the the whole workforce standpoint, what that does is it provides an opportunity for employers to tap into talent from anywhere. Yeah, and I think we will see in in the future of work, we'll see a lot of roles being contracted. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of very limited time, narrow, project focused kinds of things. And the decisory group is here to offer some of those services. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yes. And and so, but, but you know, that's that's a really good thing because we know there's a talent shortage. There's a workforce shortage right. in pockets. And so, you know, that, that does make more talent available. And it also provides a different scope of work, a different employment contract for folks, you know, that are in the workforce. Which is a great point because the decisory group started during the pandemic because of some of those issues you just mentioned. But... One of the biggest costs for a company is onboarding, right? Yes. Yeah, onboarding of an employee and keeping them. And so it's, it, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, fortunately for me, maybe unfortunately for some people out there, is that it's easier to contract with someone like you or me uh, to to do the services that are needed instead of hiring someone in, bringing them in, right? all, uh, all that, you know, cost that goes along with it right so that's a great point right did i get off point there a little i don't think so all right thank you we're on target jim (laughs) well well, good that's great stuff well hey this has been fun and it's always enjoyable talking with you about this and i know uh how important uh the college especially the the mba program and uh these new initiatives with the grad uh certificates and the mini credentials um, if someone wants to inquire about those, what do they need to do? You can have them give me a call at 270-745-6581 uh-huh. or drop me an email at dana.cosby at wkuedu. All right. And we'll and, put all that in the show notes in case anybody wants to reach out to you. And maybe even put a link uh, to the, the, the 
the master's program in the business college as well. Fantastic. And you will get me. You will not get a chat bot at this time. <laughs> you get a real person? <laughs> yes. All right. Well, but, hey, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, one of the exciting things I think about our region and our community, Jim, is that, and I, I think this this kind of speaks to our our you know, fabulous results in economic development, you know, community leaders here are willing to work together and want to work together to mm -hmm. provide the things that, I, you know, that our business community needs. Right. And also to advance, you know, our, our, um, workforce and the, the folks that live in our communities. And so Gordon Ford is glad to be part of that and happy to support business and industry in any way that we can. Super duper. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to the DeCesare Group podcast and my conversation with Dr. Dana Cosby from Western Kentucky University. The DeCesare Group podcast goes hand-in-hand -hand with our newsletter, Sokey Economic Development and Business News, and you can subscribe on our website, thedeCesareGroup.com, or follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's program is produced by the DeCesare Group. Our engineer is MC... Clap your hands, Justin DeCesare, with content contributions for Brooke Mattingly and Amy DeCesare. Keep listening to the DeCesare Group podcast and hear from industry leaders, business owners, and experts about the latest economic development and business activities in South Central Kentucky. Until next time, I'm Jim DeCesare.